السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As promised, today's talk will be about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's love and concern for his ummah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent many prophets alayhim wa salatu wa salam to their respective nations before the Prophet And every messenger, every prophet was like a father to his nation. Like a father in his responsibility, leadership, guidance and just as importantly his love, his care, his concern, and his compassion for his children. So every messenger of Allah, was in the rank and position of a father to his children, a father to his family. In fact, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Ahzab that the Prophet is closer and dearer more rightful and more deserving of the believers in their own souls and his wives are their mothers the ulama Amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and the Tabi'een, they would say that just as his wives are the mothers of the believers, the Prophet is a father to them. And he himself said as much. Although we don't refer to him as such, in a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, Prophet وسلم, whilst discussing hygiene, personal hygiene and ritual purity for the believers, he says, Innama analakum mithlul walid. I am but as a far I am but like a father to you. And in the same hadith related by Imam Abu Dawood in his Sunan, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, that I am but in the rank of a father for you, I teach. 
So the Prophet ﷺ described himself as being in the rank and in the position of a father. And the ulama have said every prophet, every nabi, every rasul, every messenger is like a father to his nation. And just as a father is responsible, overseeing, guiding, protecting, monitoring, teaching, similarly, a father is also one of love, concern and compassion for his family. And who could there be more compassionate, more concerned, more loving and caring than the prophets of Allah والسلام, for their respective nations? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes that of the former messengers, the one of the greatest of prophets, والسلام, the Prophet Nuh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of him, even though he was persecuted by his own people, like every messenger. The messengers were not only persecuted, but ridiculed, mocked, laughed at, dismissed. They were called names. They were verbally abused. And even physically persecuted. And similarly, the people of Nuh said all kinds of things to him, hurled all manner of insults at him. In fact, his own wife used to call him mad. The wife of Nuh used to call him Majnoon, mad. And his people called him Majnoon. And in one verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that his people said to Nuh alayhi salam, إِنَّا لَنَرَاكَ فِي ضَلَالٍ مُّبِينٍ That we see you in clear error, in clear misguidance. So Nuh alayhi salam's reply to them was, قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ O my people. And when the prophets of Allah alayhi salatu salam said, O my people, as every messenger is quoted in the Qur'an as saying, O my people, O my people. It wouldn't just be a call of authority saying that I'm your leader. And by saying, O my people, rather, by saying, O my people, this was also a call for, of love, of concern, of care, of compassion. Like a father would say, oh my children. So in response to, him, to them saying to him that we see you in clear error, the Prophet Nuh said, he said, O oh my people, there is no misguidance in me. Rather, I am a messenger of Allah, the Lord of the worlds. I come, I convey to you the messages of my Lord, and this is the word I was trying to get to, and I 
wish well for you. That is the position of the prophets of Allah That despite your persecution, your jibes, your taunts, your refusal to believe, despite your insults, I continue to do my duty, convey the words of Allah to you, for I am his messenger. And overall, I wish well for you. This is a meaning of nusr and nasiha. It means purity, sincerity. We know nasiha to be advice and good counsel. But the reason nasiha is called advice is that when someone advises another, the idea is that they advise them and counsel them sincerely, purely with a pure motive, and they wish the best for them. And thus, with sincerity, with purity of motive, and distilling the, the best that they have for them, they offer it to them as good counsel and advice. That's why nasiha is called nasiha. Otherwise, the original meaning of nusr and nasiha is sincerity and purity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amunu tubu ila Allahi tawbatan nasuha. O believers, repent unto Allah, a nasuh repentance, meaning a sincere repentance, an honest, truthful and sincere repentance. So when, in the Quran and Hadith, the word nusuh means wishing well, wanting the best, having the other person's best interests, their welfare at heart, being altruistic in the purest sense. That is the meaning of nusr. So the Prophet Nuh said to his people, لكم, And I wish the best for you. I wish well for you. Despite their jibes, taunts and persecution. After him, the Prophet Hud the people said the same to him. His people said to him, We see you in foolishness. You are a fool. And not only that, We believe you to be one of the liars. Hud salam's response to his people, the people of Ad, O oh my people, لَيْسَ بِي سَفَاهَ there is no foolishness in me. Rather, I am a messenger from the Lord of the Worlds. I convey to you the messages of my Lord. And I am a trustworthy, sincere, good counsellor to you. Again, a sincere well-wisher for you. Despite your taunts, you calling me mad, a fool, a liar, rejecting me, I continue to do my duty, convey the messages of my Lord to you, and remember, I wish the best for you. The Prophet Nuh, the Prophet Salihud, Prophet Salih, Shaib, Allah quotes all of them saying similar things. Salih, Fatawalla, Anhum. وَقَالِ يَا قَوْمِ لَقَدْ أَبْلَغْتُكُمْ لِسَالَةَ رَبِّي وَنَسَحْتُ لَكُمْ وَلَكِنْ لَا تُحِبُّونَ النَّاصِحِينَ When they were punished, he turned away from them and said, 
O my people, indeed I did convey to you the message of my Lord. And I wished the best for you. But you do not like those who are sincere towards you and wish the best for you. And the Prophet Shaib said something very similar. He turned away from them and he said, Oh my people, I did, indeed I did convey to you the messages of my Lord. And I was sincere for you, pure for you. I wished the best for you. But how can I grieve over a disbelieving people? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes from all of these messengers والسلام, in the Qur'an as to how, despite the persecution, the rejection, the taunts, the jibes, the insults of their people, they continue to show them love, concern and compassion. And despite everything, I seek the best for you, I wish the best for you. I have your welfare and your interest at heart. If that was the case with all of the former prophets, والسلام, then knowing that the greatest of all of them, the Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, we can just imagine how great his love, his concern, his compassion for his ummah was, and how much he sincerely and passionately wished the well wished well for this ummah and had the interest in the welfare of this ummah at heart. Prophet Wasallam's compassion for his ummah, his sincerity and his purity for his ummah, his wishing well for his ummah exceeded and surpassed that of all of the Prophets والسلام, that came before him. And it's very evident, as we will learn from uh, a few verses as well as a few hadith. Even before the Prophet وسلم, received the revelation of the Qur'an, in Mecca, Prophet وسلم, just like all the Prophets before him, was concerned about his ummah. The ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is known as two kinds of ummah. One is the ummah of da'wah, and one is the ummah of faith. So one is a nation of invitation, and one is a nation of belief. Those who believe in the Prophet ﷺ become part of his nation of belief. But those who still don't believe in him, who come, who are contemporary to him, or who come after him, they are still his ummah of da'wah, his nation of invitation to whom he has been sent. And the Prophet ﷺ was concerned about both. So even before the revelation of the Qur'an, Prophet ﷺ looked around him, and he was extremely grieved and distressed by the condition of the people. They're turning away from Allah. Their lack of belief in the oneness of Allah. Their polytheism. 
their paganism, their wayward life, lives. Prophet ﷺ was concerned about so many things in the lives of the people around him in Mecca. And he was in search. He wanted something for them. And that's one of the things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to in Surah Al-Duha. And Allah found you in search, so he guided you. And eventually when the Prophet was given the Qur'an, and in fact before he was given the Qur'an, we've learnt before, that as Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says, the Prophet would retreat to the cave of Hira. And what would he do there? He would do tahannuth. Tahannuth would be contemplation, meditation. I'tikaf, that was actually a form of i'tikaf where he would seclude himself and devote himself to contemplation and meditation in relation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the things that drove him to this was not only his desire to communicate with Allah Azza wa Jal, but also his passion, his desire, his concern for the betterment and the guidance of his people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the Qur'an. And from the time he received the revelation, if, if we look at his life in Mecca and then his life in Medina, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's living concern for his ummah was evident in both phases. Even in Mecca al-Mukarramah, when all the odds were stacked against him and his followers, there were very few followers, there was overwhelming opposition, and his situation was very similar to that of all the messengers that came before him in their early stages of prophethood, when people would call them mad, people would accuse them of insanity, People would accuse them of lying, of division, of strife and discord. They would abuse them, persecute them. Prophet ﷺ had exactly the same experience in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And yet despite all of that opposition, that persecution, which even became physical at times, verbal abuse, the hurling of jibes and insults at the Prophet ﷺ, the questioning of his motives and his sincerity and his honesty and integrity. Despite all of this, the Prophet ﷺ passionately, sincerely <coughs> continued to convey the message of Allah to them, and not just convey the message of Allah, he continued to feel and show and express the same concern, compassion, and even love for his people. And nothing could be more evident of this than the famous experience that he had in Ta'if. Ten years, approximately ten years after he received the revelation, when his uncle had passed away, Abu Talib, when his beloved wife, Umm al-Mu'mineen Khadija radiyallahu anha, had also left this world. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had been preaching to his people, the Quraysh, in Mecca for 10 years. 
And yet he still felt that only a few of them had believed. And there was a great task ahead of him. To Prophet ﷺ, in order to further his mission and also to seek protection, the Prophet ﷺ decided to travel to Ta'if, a city approximately 40 miles from Mecca. There the Prophet ﷺ went, and it was a powerful city, it was a rival to Mecca, and the rival tribe to the Quraysh in Mecca were the Banu Thaqif, the Thaqif tribe. Prophet ﷺ went to them and stayed there for some time, visited various leaders and dignitaries in Ta'if. And what was his experience in Ta'if? His experience in Ta'if, some ulama say he stayed there for approximately 10 days. Subhanallah. His experience of approximately, according to one narration, 10 days in Ta'if was a microcosm of his experience of 10 years in Mecca. It was the same. He approached the leaders, spoke to them, pleaded with them, conveyed the words of Allah to them. In 10 days, they did exactly the same as the people of Mecca had done in 10 years. They accused him of being mad. They accused him of being a liar, an imposter. They hurled jibes and insults at him, false accusations at him. They even set the street urchins and vagabonds on him, who pelted him, who hurled pebbles at him. Eventually, he was driven from the city of Ta'if in such a manner that Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim both relate from Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha that the Prophet says, I left the city of Mecca. Mahmoom, meaning grieved and immersed in sadness to such a degree that the words of the hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim say that I only came to my senses that means he left the city of Mecca in a daze because he was driven out and insulted and attacked both verbally and physically in such a manner that he was left in a state of utter shock and consternation. His own words in the Hadith of Bukhari are, I only came to realize, I only came to my senses. Meaning, I only became aware of what was happening. Much later, at a distance from the city of Ta'if, he then says that I looked up towards the sky, and there were clouds. And in the clouds, from the clouds, I saw Jibreel, So Jibreel came to me and spoke to me, and said, O Muhammad, here is an angel, here is another angel. Allah has sent him to you. This angel is in command of the two great mountains that are on either side of Ta'if. He speaks to you. That angel said to him, O Muhammad, I am in charge of these two great mountains. And the the affair will be as you wish. If you wish, Allah says that Allah has heard what your people, meaning the people of Ta'if, have said to you, how they have responded to you, and what they have done with you. Now the choice is yours. If you wish, 
I can bring these two mountains together and crush the city of Daif. Prophet ﷺ's reply was, no. Leave them be, for I wish and I hope that from their children and progeny at least will emerge a people who will believe in Allah and not associate partners with him. Despite his pain, his flowing blood, and indeed that was his experience in Mecca as well as in Daif. In Mecca al-Mukarramah, despite everything, the Prophet ﷺ persevered and showed the same love, concern, and compassion for his people. He just wanted them to believe to the extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of him that he pursues them. In Surah Abbas, Allah says, Abbas wa tawalla an ja'ahu al-a'ma wa ma yudrika la'allahu yazzakka aw yadhakkaru fatanfa'ahu al-dhikra. Amma man istaghna fa'anta lahu tasadda wa am... وَأَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ وَمَا عَلَيْكَ أَلَّا يَزَّكَّى وَأَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى وَهُوَ يَخْشَى فَأَنْتَ عَنْهُ تَلَهَى Allah says, Abbas, he frowned and turned away because a blind man came to him. And what do you know, O Muhammad wasallam? Perhaps he may be purified. Or he may take heed, and the reminder and the admonition will benefit him. As for one who regards himself as aloof and independent, so you pursue him, even though it is not your responsibility that he becomes purified. And as for one who comes to you, running to you, hastening towards you, and fearing Allah, then you turn away from him. What, were these, what are these verses re- referring to? What had happened is that in Mecca, the Prophet wasallam, in his eagerness, in his, compa- in his zeal, and in his concern, that people believe, the Prophet wasallam, would leave, would not leave any chance or any opportunity to speak to the people. Regardless of the occasion. At the time of Hajj, the tribes and people of Arabia would gather in the season of Hajj. And the Arabs, this is uh, even after Islam, but before the Hijrah, the Arabs would treat the Hajj as a season of pilgrimage and prayer and worship, but also a season and a time of a festival, of festivities. They used to have huge trade fairs, and it was a gathering place for poetry competitions, for people to meet, greet, for diplomacy, etc. And the tribes of Arabia would gather. So the Prophet ﷺ would seize the opportunity, and he would approach different tribes and leaders and convey the words of Allah to them. This is exactly how the people of Medina originally embraced Islam because he approached the people of Medina who had come to Mecca. Some of them listened to him attentively and eventually a few believed in him. First it was six and then next year they became 12 and then the year after approximately 75. 
And these were known, that, that later this was known as a bay'ah of Aqaba, when he took the pledge of the people of Medina, and then after that he did hijrah. But in the, fest, in the Hajj festival and the pilgrimage, he would approach people to speak to them. He would leave no opportunity. And things were so bad that in the festival of Hajj, whilst people were gathered, and he would go to different people and speak to them. Since these were newcomers, they weren't the people of Mecca. They were people from all over Arabia. People would say, who is that young man? Who is that man who goes around talking to people in this manner? And the Prophet ﷺ would walk and approach people, and Abu Lahab would be a few steps behind him, his own uncle. And when the Prophet ﷺ would speak to people, Abu Lahab would approach them too and say, do not listen to him, he is mad. That was his own uncle, his father's brother. He would say, do not listen to him, he is mad. So the Prophet ﷺ would leave no opportunity, no chance at giving da'wah, at inviting people. So on one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ was speaking to one of the leaders of the Quraysh one of the chieftains of the Quraysh. And the Prophet ﷺ was inviting him to religion. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, one of the Sahaba who was actually blind, he approached the Prophet ﷺ and wished to speak to him. Now, he was blind, so he couldn't see the Prophet ﷺ or see his features or his facial expressions, or he wasn't too aware of what the Prophet ﷺ was doing and who he was with. But he approached the Prophet ﷺ whilst he was busy talking to this chieftain of the Quraysh. The Prophet ﷺ's thinking was that Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, he's a believer. And whatever his query is, it can be answered and addressed afterwards. And he was already engaged talking to one of the chieftains of the Quraysh. This was a prime opportunity for him to invite this person to Islam and bring him into the fold of religion. So the Prophet ﷺ continued speaking to the chieftain of the Quraysh. But he didn't pay attention to Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum then approached him again. So when he persisted, the Prophet ﷺ disapproved of that because he was preoccupied and engaged with this chieftain of the Quraysh, again because of his concern, his passion, his zeal for da'wah. So when Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum persisted, the Prophet ﷺ expressed his disapproval, not verbally, but by facial expression. So he frowned, and he turned away. Abdullah ibn Maktoum went left. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually revealed these verses of the Qur'an to chide and to correct the Prophet and say to him, and remember, but the way he chides him, the way he corrects him and reprimands him is with the love and affection speaking in the third person. That Abba he frowned and he turned away because a blind man came to him. And then he said, oh, why did he 
do that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says, because you vigorously pursue him I, in order to invite him to religion. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again told the Prophet sallallahu It is not your responsibility. You see, this was the character of the Prophet sallallahu His concern for the ummah was so overwhelming, so all-consuming, that Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam would be physically and emotionally affected. He would be distressed, he would be grieved, he would be saddened. And Allah would have to continuously reassure him and remind him not to take this burden on, on himself. Just like here, وَمَا عَلَيْكَ That it is not your responsibility that he, pure, he becomes pure. Your job is merely to convey. And time and time again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in fact, in Surah Al-Kahf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعٌ نَفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ إِنْ لَمْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ That it seems, perhaps, you may cause your soul to perish. You may lose your soul. You may destroy yourself. You may cause your soul to perish over them. In grief of the fact that they do not believe. And in another verse, فَلَا تَذْهَبْ نَفْسُكَ عَلَيْهِمْ حَسَرَاتٍ O Messenger of Allah, do not allow your soul to depart in sighs of regret over them because they don't believe. Time and time again, وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ do not let their words grieve you. وَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ Do not let their words grieve you. قَدْ نَعْلَمُ إِنَّهُ لَا يَحْزُنُكَ الَّذِي يَقُولُونَ We indeed, we do know that what they say does grieve you and sadden you. وَاصْبِرْ وَمَا صَبْرُكَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا تَكُ فِي ضَيْقٍ مِمَّا يَمْكُرُونَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْا وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ مُحْسِنُونَ Be patient, O Messenger of Allah, and your patience is only by Allah. وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ And do not grieve over them. وَلَا تَكُفِي ضَيْقٍ مِمَّا يَمْكُرُونَ And do not be distressed by their plots. Indeed, Allah is with those who are wary of Allah and fearful of Him. And Allah is with those who do good. This was the nature of the Prophet ﷺ. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to continuously in the Qur'an remind him, do not grieve, do not become distressed, do not let your soul depart. Do not expire your soul. Do not cause your soul to perish over them. Do not sigh such sighs of regret over them. Allah to keep on reminding him. Just as he said in this story of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, it's not your responsibility that he believes or becomes pure. In another verse, Remind, فَإِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُذَكِّرْ For you are only a reminder, لَسْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمُسَيْطِرِ You are not one appointed over them, you are not their guardian. In another verse, وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِجَبَّارِ فَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدِ And you are not a guardian or an enforcer over them, جَبَّارِ An enforcer over them. فَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدِ Therefore remind, with the Qur'an, one who fears my 
threat or my promise. And the reason Allah had to keep on reminding him of this is that the Prophet wasallam's concern for his ummah, for his people, was so overwhelming, so all-consuming that it affected him physically and emotionally. It grieved him, it saddened him, it put him under great pressure. So Allah had to keep on reassuring him and reminding him. And this continued even after the Prophet left Mecca and arrived in Medina. When the Prophet arrived in Medina, if, as some people suggest, he was merely a tribal leader, he was looking for power, position, authority. The Prophet ﷺ would have been content in Medina. He had his city. The people eventually submitted to him. The, the, the two famous tribes of Aws and Khazraj, who were the main population of Medina, they were the ones who had actually invited him to come to the city so that he could rule over them and reconcile these warring factions. So they made him, they appointed him their leader. If that's all the Prophet ﷺ wanted, well now he had a whole city at his disposal. But no, the Prophet ﷺ wasn't concerned about the wealth and the power and the influence and worldly authority and position. He was, concern- he was concerned about the souls of mankind about the hearts of mankind, about their akhirah, about their afterlife, their belief and their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what concerned him and grieved him. And therefore, his love, his concern and his passion and sincerity were the same in Mecca when they were in a minority as it was the same in Medina when they eventually became a majority. There was no difference whatsoever. Prophet ﷺ was gripped by this desire that his word, his message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should reach every built home and every tent. And he persevered in doing so. But it wasn't just about giving da'wah. He wasn't just about inviting people to religion. It was also the manner in which he did it. His concern, his desire, his nasiha, his wishing, the, his wishing well and wishing the best for his people. It was evident in his words, his actions, his dealings, the way he managed people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of him, in Surah At-Tawbah, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِمَا عَنِتُّمْ حَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَأُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ Very beautiful verse. Indeed, a messenger has come to you from yourselves. Azizun alayhima anittum. What you suffer weighs down heavily on him. It's burdensome on him. Your suffering grieves him. Your suffering is burdensome on him. Azizun alayhima anittum. Harisun alaykum. He is desirous of your welfare and your interest. Extremely desirous. He is Ra'uf and Rahim. These are two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ra'uf means extremely compassionate. Extremely compassionate. It's a superlative. Rahim means extremely merciful. And these are the two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ra'uf and Rahim. 
And here Allah has given his two names to the Prophet Rahim, That with the believers, he is Ra'uf and he is Rahim. He is extremely compassionate and extremely merciful. And indeed, that's how the Prophet was. This is Allah's testimony. That Azizun alayhima anittum, your suffering weighs down heavily on him. Prophet could not tolerate the worldly suffering of his followers. How can we imagine that he would tolerate the suffering in the hereafter of his believers? He couldn't tolerate the worldly suffering. He really couldn't. He couldn't tolerate the suffering of animals. When a person overworked his animal, lay more luggage on the animal than it could bear, the Prophet wasallam corrected it, corrected them, warned them. In fact, Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith in his sahih that the Prophet wasallam was traveling with the companions and there was a woman, a lady, who was traveling on her camel with the Prophet And this was the love of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So while she was traveling with him in the large group, they came through a very narrow mountain pass. So that meant that it became a file and she became distant from the Prophet and she eagerly wanted to be close to him. So she prodded her camel and trying to drive the camel to go faster, the camel itself started making excessive noise and grumbling. So she cursed the camel and she said, Come on. The word in Arabic is hal. Hal, they used to say, it's like a, just like we say, it, it's a word, it's not a word with a meaning, but it's a sound that's given to animals. So the Arabs would say hal, hal, to the camels, which means move on, drive, drive. So she said hal, and then she said, may Allah curse you, to the camel. It was just a thing said in anger or uh, very quickly. The Prophet ﷺ heard, Subhanallah. Even though she was doing it to get close to him, the Prophet ﷺ said to the people around him, Take everything off the camel. Everything. Remove its canopy, its saddle, its blanket, its reins. Remove everything from the camel. Strip it of everything. And then leave the camel to roam free. Why did he do And he said, because she has, it's cursed, meaning she has cursed it. It's not cursed, but what the Prophet ﷺ was doing is teaching her a lesson. That you do not curse the camel, you do not curse an animal in this manner. And to discipline her, the Prophet ﷺ told her, you can no longer ride the camel or use it. It is to be left free, to roam as it wishes. The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum say that for, year, for long after we used, to, we used to see that camel in Medina roaming around, no one would touch it. No one. 
So the Prophet ﷺ would not tolerate an animal being overworked, overburdened with luggage, or even harshly spoken to. When he heard a woman cursing a camel, the Prophet ﷺ relieved the camel of all of its duties and said, let set it free, it shall roam and no one is to touch it. And he disciplined her because of that. SubhanAllah. So the Prophet ﷺ, Allah says of him, Azizun alayhim your suffering, whatever you suffer, weighs heavily on him. It really did. The Prophet ﷺ could not tolerate the suffering of the of his followers. Allah says, Harisun alaykum, he is desirous of your welfare. That's Allah's testimony. The word haris actually means greed, greedy. Hirs means greed. And haris means someone who's greedy. Now obviously we wouldn't use that word for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but it just shows the level of his passion, his desire, his keen concern, his keen desire, that he is extremely desirous of your welfare. Bil-mu'mineen he is compassionate and merciful towards the believers. He truly was. The Prophet ﷺ was compassionate and merciful towards his enemies. The people said to him, on it related that this is, this is to do with the day of Uhud, when they really suffered. And in some narrations it's not mentioned at all, but in essence... Some of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum said to him, O Prophet of Allah, why don't you curse the mushrikeen? Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's reply was, he said, why don't you curse the pagans? And this was after they had suffered greatly at their hands. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, I have not been sent as one to curse. Rather, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sent as a mercy. As Allah says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ We have not sent you but as a mercy for the worlds. Prophet ﷺ was a rahmah and a mercy for the worlds. Why wouldn't he be merciful and compassionate with his own loyal, dutiful, believing followers? He was compassionate towards and merciful towards him. In fact, he was compassionate and merciful even towards his enemies, even towards the hypocrites. Even the munafiqeen, even the hypocrites, even those who had hurt him and insulted him and hurt him in his family, attacked his honor and dignity. Even to those, the Prophet ﷺ was forgiving and merciful. There was a young lad who was instrumental. He was a non-Muslim, but he used to frequent the house of Rasulullah on occasions do some work for him. And he was instrumental in hurting the Prophet in the story or in the episode of his being affected and afflicted by sorcery and magic. Since the sorcerers, they required the hair of the Prophet and the only person who had access to that was this young non-Muslim lad who would frequent the house. Prophet ﷺ underwent great pain and he was affected deeply by that. And that's why Surah 
Falaq and Surah An-Nas were revealed. But remarkably, even though he was identified and known as being instrumental in this whole episode, the Prophet ﷺ sought no retaliation against him. In fact, he left him alone. He left him alone. And there are countless such episodes. The Prophet ﷺ would not... He, he was merciful and compassionate and caring even towards those who had hurt him and harmed him. He was like a father. Like a father to his ummah, a father to his nation. He was concerned about their welfare. He was compassionate towards them, merciful towards them. Allah says, We have not sent you but as a mercy for mankind. In fact, in another verse of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيذَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْفَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ فَاعْفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَابِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ That it is only because of rahmah, a mercy and compassion from Allah, that you were soft towards them. That Allah placed compassion and mercy in your heart. As a result, you were soft and compassionate and merciful towards your followers. If you were harsh of tongue and hard of heart, then all of these people would have dispersed from around you. Despite his compassion, despite his mercy, despite his leniency towards them, Allah still says immediately thereafter, فَعْفُ عَنْهُمْ Excuse them. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ And seek forgiveness for them. وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ And consult them in the affair. SubhanAllah, he was already lenient, tolerant, forgiving, merciful, forbearing. Allah testifies to all of that, and then Allah says, be even more forgiving. Be even more merciful. Seek forgiveness for them. In another verse, وَخْفِذْ جَنَاحَكَ لِمِنِ اتَّبَعَكَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Lower your wing, i.e. in humility, for those of your followers who have believed in you. Or for those of the believers who have followed you. So Allah's Messenger wasallam, He was told to treat the companions and the Sahaba عنهم, in such a way. And remember, he was a messenger of Allah. And there's a great lesson for it shows us how we should treat our families, our friends, our colleagues, and how we should treat the ummah of Rasulullah Imagine Allah says, Allah testifies that, O Messenger of Allah, you are compassionate. You already are towards them. Your heart is full, filled with mercy towards them. You are forgiving. You are not harsh of tongue. You are not hard, hard of heart. And it is only because of this that they have remained with you. Otherwise, they would have dispersed long ago. Then Allah says, but still, fa'fu anhum, forgive them. Wastaghfillahum, and seek forgiveness for them. And in that other verse, wa'khfid jamaahaka limin ittaba'aka min al-mu'mineen, and lower your wing for those of the believers who have followed you. Meaning, Allah is telling him, be humble towards the believers. Allahu Akbar. Be humble Towards the believers. In fact, the same Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, 
the same one that Allah had reprimanded him about. It's mentioned in some narrations that later the Prophet ﷺ would honor him. He would, he would actually ask him, do you need anything? This is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. And in one narration, it said that when he would come, the Prophet ﷺ would say to him, welcome a one whom Allah reprimanded me on his behalf. So the Prophet ﷺ wasn't just compassionate and merciful like an overbearing authority who is magnanimous. No, the Prophet ﷺ was compassionate and merciful in humility for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to be. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ's dealings with people were such that he was extremely forgiving, compassionate, understanding. His words to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were that Bashira wala tunafira, give glad tidings. Do not repel people, do not cause them to flee. And in one famous hadith later by Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi and others, Imam Muslim too, Prophet was seated in the masjid. When a man came and he was a Bedouin and he came and he started to relieve himself urinating in the masjid. Now do remember that the masjid never had carpets or etc. It was just a walled area with, in fact the rear according to the earliest narrations wasn't walled but the front and the sides were walled and the, it was just sand, sand and rock and uh, the normal hard stony ground. The, this is why the Prophet وسلم, and the Sahaba used to wear shoes at times, even in their salah, because it was just normal ground, rocky ground and rocky sandy ground. So, and it was an open area. And Abdullah ibn Umar says that I, when I was a young man, I used to sleep in the masjid of the Prophet And as I've mentioned many times before, there's a lesson in this, that we see a lot of dreams. And we pay a lot of attention to these dreams. And it's remarkable how the Sahaba radiallahu anhum used to see dreams and how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to treat those dreams. So Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum says, I was a young man, I used to sleep in the masjid. And in one narration he says, the dogs used to roam in the masjid. So that's the point I wish to make, that the masjid was such, it was very open, and dogs used to roam at night in the masjid. And this is where the same Bedouin came and uh, began to urinate. Now what was I saying about dreams? So Abdullah ibn Umar says, I was a young man, I used to sleep in the masjid of the Prophet And remember, he was so pious, he was the son of Umar ibn al-Khattab, and the younger brother of Umm al-Mu'mineen Hafsa, the brother-in-law of the Prophet He did hijrah from Mecca to Medina at a very young age, and he used to frequent the house of his sister, 
the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, used to sleep in the masjid. Which masjid? Masjid al-Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And he says, "I never used to get good dreams. I never used to see good dreams. So I used to pray to Allah that I wish I could see a good dream so that I could relate it to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam." So once he saw a dream, and he was so overjoyed. And he, it was a magnificent dream with angels who took him on a tour. And he related it to the Prophet ﷺ. Initially, he was so shy, he told his sister. So his sister, Mu'min Hafsa, she informed the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ heard the, heard the whole dream. It was a magnificent dream. And the most that the Prophet ﷺ said was... Abdullah is a good man. If only he would pray more at night. Subhanallah. And it's, I always marvel at this, that this is Abdullah ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhumah. He sleeps in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam every night. He never sees good dreams. He prays to Allah repeatedly, show me a good dream so that I can relate it to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When he does see a good dream and the Prophet ﷺ hears it all, he doesn't give a lengthy interpretation. All he says about this beautiful dream of angels who took him on a tour, he said, Abdullah is a good man. If only he would pray at night. So from that moment, Abdullah ibn Umar would pray excessively at night. I just remembered that when I was mentioning about dogs roaming, the, uh, roaming around in the masjid because... It always strikes me, comparing ourselves to Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, look at where we sleep, where we are, who we are. For some reason, we always seem to see very good dreams. And when we relate them to other people, they give lengthy, voluminous interpretations to these dreams. But Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma slept in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, never saw good dreams, prayed to Allah to be shown a good dream. When he was the most, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Abdullah is a good man, if only he would pray at night. So dogs would roam in the masjid. So in that same area, this Bedouin came and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and being a Bedouin, uh, in one narration of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, the same Bedouin, he came and he actually said something first. He said, Allahumma arhamni wa muhammada wa la tarham ma'ana ahada. He loudly said whilst all the Sahaba were there, Oh Allah, have mercy on me and Muhammad and do not have mercy on anyone but the two of us. <laughs> Allahumma arhamni wa muhammada wa la tarham ma'ana ahada. O oh Allah, have mercy. This is a narration of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad. O oh Allah, have mercy on me and Muhammad. And do not have mercy on anyone other than the two of us. So the Prophet said to him, O oh you, you have restricted the vast mercy of Allah. Then the man went, and this is the narration of Bukhari and Muslim and others, that he went and he began urinating. So the Sahaba began shouting at him, and some of them lunged towards him. So the Prophet said, leave him, leave him be. The Prophet let him finish. And then the Prophet said, leave him be. And then he didn't want to cut off him passing water. 
Prophet وسلم, then told the Sahaba عنهم, pour pails and buckets of water over that area. And then he said to them, فَإِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُمْ مُيَسِّرِينَ وَلَمْ تُبْعَثُوا مُعَسِّرِينَ For you have been sent to make things easy for people. You have not been sent to make things difficult for people. That's just one example of a Bedouin urinating in the masjid. And he was a Bedouin. He actually said in front of everyone, Oh Allah, have mercy on me and Muhammad and no one but the two of us. And yet this is how the Prophet ﷺ dealt with him and told the Sahaba عنهم, and reminded them, You have been sent as ones to make things easy for people. You have not been sent to make things difficult for people. Regardless of the situation, this is how the Prophet ﷺ would deal with people. Once, the Prophet ﷺ owed money to someone. So the man came and he began speaking harshly to the Prophet ﷺ. The Sahaba and became extremely angry. The Prophet ﷺ said, no, leave him. Leave him for one who has a right, has a right to speak. Because he has a right over me. He has a right to say something to. Prophet ﷺ didn't react, he didn't respond, he didn't feel aggrieved or insulted, and he didn't let anyone else react on his behalf. But rather he said, leave him be. Even though he was actually being very harsh to the Prophet ﷺ. Prophet ﷺ said, leave him. فَإِنَّ لِصَاحِبِ الْحَقِّ مقالة. For one who has a right, has a right to speak. He has a right over me, therefore he has a right to speak. Leave him. The Prophet ﷺ was soft and compassionate and merciful towards the believers, towards the followers, towards the ummah. And he was like this in the dunya, even with the munafiqun, even with the hypocrites. Like a father of a family, Prophet ﷺ always wished to bring people together, to reconcile people. Just like a father of a family does not wish to see his children argue and quarrel, squabble amongst themselves, the Prophet ﷺ never wanted to see any difference amongst his followers. And he would actively go forth and involve himself to bring about peace, understanding and reconciliation between differing peoples. Imam Bukhari relates that once... Prophet ﷺ heard that the people of Banu Amr ibn Awf, who lived in Quba, they had a quarrel amongst themselves. And things went so far that they not only exchanged words, but they began hurling stones at each other. And things would have got out of hand. Prophet ﷺ heard this, and he was in the masjid, and Quba is a few miles away. So... The Prophet ﷺ, after Dhuhr Salah, he said to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum who was with, who were with him, that come, take me to Banu Amr ibn Awf in Quba so that I can reconcile between them. The Prophet ﷺ went and through peace and standing advice, he brought about a reconciliation and agreement between these two quarreling peoples. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ did that on so many occasions. There's a famous story, Imam, Abu, Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi relates this hadith, and so do others at once, from Anas al-Malik radiyallahu anh, 
that someone said to the Prophet وسلم, why don't you go and visit Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul? Now, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, he was a hypocrite. And he was well known for his anti-prophetic, anti-Sahaba stance. But the Prophet ﷺ tolerated him. And again, in his eagerness that people would believe, the Prophet ﷺ hoped that since Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was a leader of his people, he was one of the leaders of the Khazraj, the Prophet ﷺ hoped that by treating him well and remaining on good terms with him and not ill-treating him in any way, despite his own behavior, the Prophet ﷺ felt that this was better for him, for Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, better for the people, better for the Ummah. Prophet ﷺ tolerated everything. So, when it was suggested to him that, why don't you go and meet him? Can you believe? The Prophet ﷺ left his masjid along with some companions. And he went riding on a donkey to visit Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, despite the kind of person he was. Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul was seated with his cronies. Remember, he was a man of authority and influence and a leader of his people. So he was seated with his people. And being the foul-mouthed, rude, impertinent, insolent rogue that he was, when the Prophet ﷺ drew near, he actually said loudly to the Prophet ﷺ, O Muhammad, move your donkey away from me. Away with you, move your donkey away from me. لَقَدْ آذَانِي نَطْمُ حِمَارِكَ That the foul smell of your donkey has hurt me and inconvenienced me, has offended me. The foul smell of your donkey has offended me. So one of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhu was with him, although it's not mentioned in the Hadith of Bukhari, we learn from other narrations that this was Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiyallahu anhu was a devoted follower of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and one of his three poets laureate. There were three poets of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Ka'b ibn Malik, Hassan ibn Thabit and Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiyallahu anhu. Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiyallahu anhu was a poet. And he was one of the three commanders who was martyred in the campaign of Muta in the eighth year of Hijrah, uh, along with Zayd ibn Haritha and Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. So the Prophet وسلم, when Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul said to him that away with you, remove your donkey from here, the foul smell of your donkey has offended me. Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiyallahu an said to Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, By Allah, the donkey of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is more fragrant and sweet-smelling than you. <laughs> so, one of, the crung, one of the people who was, who was with Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, he, he responded and then the Sahaba responded and they began arguing amongst themselves, and in fact, some of them exchanged uh, physical blows, hitting each other with hands and feet and even shoes and sandals. 
So the Prophet ﷺ was calming everyone. And then eventually he calmed everyone down. And Rasulullah ﷺ did not say a word to Ubay Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, nor did he say a word to any of his cronies. Rather, he just pacified everyone, again out of concern. Abdullah ibn, to bring about reconciliation, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul did so much against the Prophet ﷺ. Years and years of abuse, of hurting him. He was the one who was instrumental when Allah revealed in Surah An-Nur the episode of Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha inna alladheena ja'u bil-ifki usbatun minkum la tahsabuhu sharran lakum bal huwa khayrun lakum likulli imri'in minhum maktasab min al-ithm walladhi tawalla kibrahu minhum lahu 'adhabun 'azim Allah says the one who assumed the greatest role therein in the scandal of Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. Scandal in the sense that they made it a scandal, whereas she was innocent. Allah says, The one who assumed the greatest role therein, for him is a great punishment. And everyone agrees, the one who assumed the greatest role in perpetuating this rumor and in circulating it and in instigating it actually was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. He hurt the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's why once on the minbar, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Who will relieve me of this man who has hurt me even in my family? Despite everything that he did, he insulted the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He even said, as Allah quotes in Surah Al-Munafiqun. Much of Surah Al-Munafiqun is actually about Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. That when we will return to Medina, the honored one, meaning Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, referring to himself, he will drive out the lowly one, meaning the Prophet So, he did so much to hurt and inconvenience the Prophet Politically, socially, personally. Despite all of that, his son, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul's son, who was also known as Abdullah, for the students of Arabic amongst you and the Talabatul Ilm and the Ulama, just uh, a word of note that Abdullah ibn Abdullah. Ibn Ubay ibn, ibn, ibn Salul. Abdullah is a son, the father is Abdullah. And we normally say Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Well, people say Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. But it's Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. And I was actually questioned about this when, by someone. Why do you say Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul? It should be Ibn Salul. But Ibn Salul because... Abdullah is a son of Ubay. And Salul is not the father of Ubay. Salul is Abdullah's own mother. So Ibn in both cases is the Badal of Abdullah. So he's Abdullah, the son of Ubay, his father, the son of Salul, his mother. So his father and mother were called Ubay and Salul. So it's Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. 
And his son was also called Abdullah. Abdullah was a sincere believer. When his father passed away, Abdullah came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, my father has passed away. Please grant me your shirt so that I can shroud him in it in the hope that Allah may forgive him and lighten his burden and punishment. The Prophet ﷺ actually took off his shirt and gave it to Abdullah the son, who was a sincere believer, to enshroud his father in the shirt of Rasulullah ﷺ. And he said to him, that O Messenger of Allah, please come and pray over him and pray for him. The Prophet ﷺ said, call me. He then went. And he went with the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Now I'd like to mention something here. Earlier on, I said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he, he went to see Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, even though he was such a person, in the hope that by honoring him, this would be better for him, for his followers, for the ummah, one could argue, one, a cynic, could argue that the Prophet ﷺ was merely humoring Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Sarul for a greater purpose, a greater motive, which is that by humoring or tolerating Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Sarul, he would at least win the affection and the loyalty or the recognition of his followers. And also in the hope that Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul would not become an outright enemy. Until now, at least, he was professing to be a Muslim, but he was a hypocrite. But if the Prophet ﷺ didn't treat him well, then maybe he would become an open enemy and therefore cause even more problems. A cynic could argue that. But then what would we say about this? It's late in the years of the Prophet's life in Medina, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He has vanquished all his enemies. The whole of the city is his. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul has lost power, influence. His name waned over the years. And now he is dead. What could the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, gain by doing what he did? This shows that his compassion his concern, his love for his ummah, his tolerance and his forgiveness were of the utmost purity and sincerity. He gave him his shirt. And one of the reasons he gave him his shirt was Abbas, the Prophet wasallam's uncle, was a tall man. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was also very tall and of large build. So when Abbas was taken captive in Badr, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul gave his shirt to Al-Abbas ibn Abd al-Muttalib. So the ulama say that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam honored that good deed by giving his own shirt on the occasion of his death as a shroud. So he was wrapped in the shroud of uh, in the shirt of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam went And he stood over his grave. 
And Imam Bukhari relates from Umar ibn al-Khattab himself. He says, I went with the Prophet وسلم, when he stood over Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. I went before him and I said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, will you pray over a man who said this and who did this and he said this and he did this? Umar ibn al-Khattab says, I listed the things that Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was responsible for saying and doing during the time of the Prophet And all the Prophet did in response to my listing all of his misdeeds was that he smiled. And he said to me, Umar, move away. Let me pray over him. When I persisted, Umar radiallahu anhu says, when I persisted, the Prophet said to me, O oh, Umar, Allah has given me a choice. Allah has said of the hypocrites, Istaghfillahum awla tastaghfillahum. In tastaghfillahum sab'ina marratan falan yaghfirallahu lahum. Seek forgiveness for them, O Messenger of Allah, or do not seek forgiveness for them. If you seek forgiveness for them 70 times, Allah will not forgive them. So the Prophet read that verse and he said to Umar, Umar, Allah has given me a choice, meaning seek forgiveness for them or do not seek forgiveness for them. Or seek forgiveness for them 70 times. Prophet said, Umar, I have been given a choice, I will take that choice. And if I, I know and I can hope that by seeking forgiveness for him more than 70 times, Allah will forgive him, then I will seek forgiveness for him more than 70 times. And he did that. He stood over him. He prayed Salatul Janazah over him. He prayed for him. He sought forgiveness for him. And it was only after that that Allah has revealed the verse, وَلَا تُصَلِّ عَلَىٰ أَحْدٍ مِّنْهُمْ مَا تَأَبَدًا وَلَا تَقُمْ عَلَىٰ قَبْرِهِ That, O Messenger of Allah, do not ever stand again over the grave of one of these hypocrites and do not ever pray over them. But that was before, after, this was before the revelation of the verse. This verse was revealed after that. But that shows the concern and the compassion and the Toleration of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa even in respect of a man like Abdullah ibn Ubi ibn Allahu Akbar. That was his compassion, his concern, his love for his ummah in the dunya. That's just the dunya. What about the akhirah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sallallahu alayhi wa in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and others, and I've actually commented on this lengthy hadith in detail from Sahih al-Bukhari, known as Hadith al-Shafa'ah, the hadith of intercession. Prophet ﷺ relates how on the day of judgment, the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be in great distress, simply waiting for the reckoning to begin. The wait will be intolerable. So they will say to each other, do you not see the distress and the difficulty that we are in? Why don't we go to someone and plead with them to intercede on our behalf and request Allah to begin the reckoning? So they will go to the Prophet Adam السلام, and say to him, O oh Adam, Anta Abu al-Bashar. Khalaqakallahu biyadih. O oh Adam, you are the father of mankind. Allah created you with his hands. 
O Adam, they will extol the virtues of Adam and then say to him, O Adam, do you not see the distress and the difficulty that we are in? Plead with Allah and intercede on our behalf to begin the reckoning, to relieve us of this. Adam will say to them, Nafsi, Nafsi, Nafsi. This day I am concerned about myself, myself, myself. Go, rather go to Nuh. So they will go to the Prophet Nuh and then the Prophet, they will say the same thing, similar things to Nuh extolling his virtues and say to him, do you not see the difficulty and the distress that we are in? Plead on our behalf, intercede on our behalf. Nuh will say what Adam said, including the words that Allah this day is angry, such an anger that he has never been so angry before. Today, nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. I'm concerned about myself, myself, myself. Rather, go to Ibrahim. They will go to Ibrahim, alayhi salam, mention the same virtues. Uh, Sorry, his virtues. He will give the same reply. This day, nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. Allah is angry, such an anger that he has never been so angry before. Rather, go to Musa. They will go to Musa alayhi salam, extol his virtues. He will give the same reply as Ibrahim, Nuh and Adam alayhi salam. And he will say, rather go to Isa. They will go to Isa ibn Maryam. He will extol his, they will extol his virtues. He will say exactly what the other prophets have said. All of them saying, nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. This day I am concerned about myself, myself, myself. Rather go to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. For this is his station. They will then come to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam says, I will then go before my Lord and fall into prostration. And then I will lay prostrate for as long as Allah wishes. Then Allah will say to me, O Muhammad, irfa' ra'sak wasal tu'atah washfa' tushaffa' O Muhammad, raise your head. And ask, and you shall be given. And intercede, and your intercession shall be accepted. And then the Prophet wasallam says, this is an amalgamation of different narrations, so he will intercede on behalf of the whole creation, that Allah begins their reckoning. And then later, the Prophet wasallam will say to Allah, Allahumma ummati ummati, O Allah, my ummah, my ummah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to him, O Muhammad, Go and bring out from the people of Jahannam those who are your followers. And then the Prophet ﷺ will go, bring out some, and then he will say, Allahumma ummati ummati, O Allah, my ummah, my ummah. Allah will say, go back, and this process will continue. Rasulullah will intercede, not just on behalf of the whole creation, but specially and specifically on behalf of this ummah. Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Rahmatullah, relates a hadith. And this is a wording of Sahih Muslim. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ دَعْوَةٌ مُسْتَجَابَةٌ لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ دَعْوَةٌ مُسْتَجَابَةٌ Every Prophet has a prayer which is answered, which is guaranteed to be answered. And every Prophet has expired and already used his dua. There is one dua which every prophet has, which Allah has guaranteed to answer and to accept. And every prophet has used up his dua already. 
وإني اختبأت دعوتي شفاعة لأمتي يوم القيامة As for me, I have reserved my dua for the sake of interceding on behalf of my ummah on the day of reckoning. And I have hope, inshallah, he says words are, I have hope, inshallah, that my shafa'ah, my intercession will reach all of those of my ummah who believe in me and who do not associate anything with Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ's love and concern for this ummah specifically was such that he has reserved his dua. And again, Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates a hadith from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiyallahu anhumah. It's a beautiful hadith. He says once the Prophet ﷺ was reciting the Qur'an, and whilst reciting the Qur'an, he read the words... Sorry, once the Prophet ﷺ read, he read the verse of Surah Ibrahim, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes Ibrahim salam, who said, رَبِّ إِنَّهُنَّ أَضْلَلْنَ كَثِيرًا مِنَ النَّاسِ فَمَنْ تَبِعَنِي فَإِنَّهُ مِنِّي And the backdrop to the verse is that Ibrahim salam prayed to Allah, O oh Allah, Meaning, referring to Mecca. That Allah, make Mecca a safe and secure city. And protect me, this is a dua of Ibrahim salam. and protect me and my children from us worshipping the idols. For indeed, my Lord, these idols have led many astray of the people. So whoever follows me, then he is of me. And whoever disobeys me, then O Allah, you are the most forgiving and the most merciful. See the compassion that those who disobey me, those who turn away from me, Ibrahim salam said, وَمَنْ عَصَانِي فَإِنَّكَ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ وَمَنْ عَصَانِي فَإِنَّكَ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ And whoever disobeys me, then O Allah. Whoever follows me, he is of me. Whoever disobeys me, then O Allah. You are the most forgiving, the most merciful. And then the Prophet ﷺ read the verse of Surah Al-Ma'idah, which Allah quotes of Isa ibn Maryam where on the day of reckoning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask Isa ibn Maryam alayhim salam. Oh Isa ibn Maryam, أَأَنْتَ قُلْتَ لِلنَّاسِ اتَّخِذُونِي وَأُمِّيَ إِلَاهِينِ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Oh Isa, son of Maryam, Allah will say to him, Did you command and instruct the people that take me and my mother as gods besides Allah? So Isa ibn Maryam alayhim salam will plead his innocence and say that I only said to them what you told me to say. And I had no right to say anything other than what you told me to say. It's a long verse, I won't mention all of it. But then towards the end, Isa ibn Maryam will say to Allah on that day of reckoning, إِن تُعَذِّبْهُمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ عِبَادُكَ وَإِن تَخْفِلَّهُمْ فَإِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ That, O oh my Lord, if you punish them for what they have done, then after all, they are your servants. But if you forgive them, then indeed, 
You are the Almighty, the All-Wise. So the Prophet ﷺ read the verse of Surah Ibrahim, of Ibrahim ﷺ, where he spoke about his ummah. فَمَنْ تَبِعَنِي فَإِنَّهُ مِنِّي وَمَنْ عَصَانِي فَإِنَّكَ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ That of my ummah, whoever follows me, he is of me, and whoever disobeys me, then you are most forgiving, most merciful. He then read the verse of Surah Al-Ma'idah of Isa ibn Maryam السلام, who spoke of his ummah, that oh Allah, if you punish them, then they are your servants. But if you forgive them, then you are almighty, all wise. And then having read both verses, Hadith of Sahih Muslim, Prophet ﷺ raised his hands and began weeping and exclaimed, Allahumma ummati, ummati, oh Allah, my ummah, my ummah. So Jibreel ﷺ was sent by, the Prophet, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet ﷺ and he came and he said, O Messenger of Allah, Allah has sent me, even though he knows Now what grieves you? What makes you weep? So the Prophet ﷺ related what he wanted to to Jibreel ﷺ. Jibreel ﷺ went back to Allah. This is a wording of the hadith. And he he relayed to Allah what the Prophet ﷺ said, even though Allah knows. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Jibreel ﷺ, go back to Muhammad and tell him, O Muhammad, O Muhammad, we will make you content about your ummah and we will not hurt you. And this is similar to the verse of the Quran, and your Lord shall give you until you are content. Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu an. In fact, before I mention this, that same verse, إِن تُعَذِّبْهُمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ عِبَادُكَ وَإِن تَخْفِلَّهُمْ فَإِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Of Isa alayhi salam, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal relates from Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu an, that once we were with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this is the level of his concern and compassion for his ummah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prayed salah all night long, Repeating and reciting only one verse of the Qur'an. The same verse of Isa ibn Maryam. إِن تُعَذِّبْهُمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ عِبَادُكَ وَإِن تَخْفِلَّهُمْ فَإِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ That, O oh Allah, if you punish them, they are your servants. And if you forgive them, then you are almighty, all wise. Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu says, he prayed salah all night long. Repeating just this one verse. And then in the morning I said to him, O oh, Messenger of Allah, we heard you recite and repeat only one verse throughout the night in salah. Why? The Prophet ﷺ told him that I sought shafa'ah, intercession for my ummah. And I hope that I have, rece- I have received it and I hope that through my shafa'ah, Allah will forgive all of those of my ummah who believe in me and who do not associate anything with Allah. And going back to that verse finally, where Allah says, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Jibreel alayhi salam, say to Muhammad, inna sanurdika fi ummatik wa la we will please you in relation to your ummah, and we will not hurt you. Ali radiallahu an, he said to some people, that you, mainly the people of Iraq, you believe 
that the one verse which gives you the most hope in the Quran is قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسَهِمْ لَا تَقْنَتُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَغْفِلُ الذُّنُوبِ جَمِيعًا إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ That you all believe that the verse that gives you the most hope in the entire Quran is the words of Allah. Say, O oh my servants, who have transgressed against themselves. Do not despair of the mercy of Allah. Indeed, Allah forgives all sins. Verily, he is most forgiving, most merciful. So, it was actually one of his relatives. He said to him, yes, indeed, we do believe that. That this verse gives us the most hope in the entire Quran. So Ali radiyallahu anhu said, well, as far as we, the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are concerned, what we believe is that there is one verse which gives us even greater hope than this. And that verse is in the one in, the one in which Allah says, وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْطِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَرْضَى That and soon your Lord will give you that which pleases you. That your Lord will give you until you are content and pleased. Meaning, Rasulullah will not be pleased and content until he has delivered every one of his ummah. In the akhirah, just as he sought to do in the dunya. That was his love and concern. We can carry on, but I suffice with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to appreciate the love and the concern of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and to make some attempt in reciprocating that love and that concern and that passion for him and for his ummah. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did so much for us. And therefore, we have a duty to him. And we have many duties. And one of the least of the duties, and the simplest of duties, is that we salute and greet and send prayers and peace upon this noble messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we remember him in this manner and that's why there are many virtues about salat and salam upon the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam but these, I'll just end with one hadith just one and I was reminded of this because on many occasions I, I recite the verse of the Qur'an, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيَّ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا That indeed Allah and His Messenger, Allah and His angels, they send their salutations and their greetings of peace and their prayers to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O believers, صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا You also send your prayers and greetings and salutations to the Prophet Now when that verse is recited, it's actually an obligation, so we should respond. And there are many virtues of sending salat and salam upon the Prophet but given everything that he has done for us, considering his love, his concern, and his compassion for this ummah, both in the dunya and in the akhirah, considering everything that he has and will do for us, and in view of the honor that we enjoy for belonging to his ummah, the least we can do is that when his name is mentioned, we say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, or Alayhi Salatu Wasallam, or something. And I'll end with this one hadith that one who fails to do this, he's miserly and stingy. What do you call a stingy and miserly person? Someone who takes but never gives, who's never happy. 
who takes and takes and never gives. And the little that he has, or even the lot that he has, he is tight-fisted, miserly, stingy, a real scrounger. And he refuses to share it with anyone. Now, a bakhil is an insult. Being called a miser, a scrooge, tight-fisted, stingy, or makichus, <laughs> is an insult. But the Prophet wasallam says in a hadith related by Imam Ahmed ibn Hamad and his Muslim Imam Tirmidhi in his Sunan, Prophet وسلم, said, The stingy one is he in whose presence my name is mentioned and he does not send salat and salam upon me. So, having spoken of the love and the compassion and concern of Rasulullah for this ummah and everything that he has done and will do, the least we can do is when we hear his noble name fulfill the obligation that Allah has imposed upon us. Ya ayyuhalladheena amunu sallu alayhi wa sallim taslima wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk